My name is Jenna and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. All right, you guys, welcome back to another episode of All the Hard Things. I have Maddie here from at Mental Health with Maddie on Instagram. I'm really excited for her to get to share her story about living with OCD in general, especially with moral OCD or otherwise known as maybe scrupulosity OCD to some of you folks. Um, But really, we're going to be focusing a lot on her story, what that was like for her specifically with the scrupulosity and moral OCD, and then talk a little bit about treatment too, um, and kind of where you're at now. So Maddie, thank you so much for being here. I know people really do resonate with like the subtype specific stuff. And so I feel like there will be a lot of people out there, especially in the moral or scrupulosity OCD community who really appreciate you coming forward and and chatting with me today. So welcome. Why don't you go ahead and tell us just really quickly about yourself. And, you know, I know you said that you've been living with OCD and anxiety for like five years. So start wherever you want to Maddie. For sure. So, I mean, you gave the perfect intro. Um, to kind of give a little bit of a rundown. So like you said, I've been living with OCD diagnosed for about five years, but I mean, before it was diagnosed, I think I was living with it for quite a while. And for me, I was very, very reluctant to go to therapy. And whenever I tell the story, I kind of laugh now being able to look back because I was so against it. I was like such a skeptic about it and just didn't think it would work and didn't think I needed it. And now I'm studying to become a therapist. So, I mean, it was a real like full circle moment for me, but I agreed finally to go to therapy because pretty much everyone in my life was kind of pushing me. Like you need to get professional help now. Like this is getting really bad. It's getting out of control. So when I agreed to go to therapy, I had done a ton of research online already. And I know people are very much against self-diagnosing and I'm not suggesting it however for me looking up and like reading you know scientific scholarly peer-reviewed articles about OCD and anxiety and mental illnesses kind of helped me get a little bit of a better idea of what I was struggling with so I wasn't like diagnosing myself with OCD but I was reading up on it and I was like this sounds a lot like what I'm experiencing and it kind of gave me that relief and understanding of like okay this is not just me as a person this is something that I'm living with like this is a real disorder so once I went to therapy I was immediately diagnosed with OCD I think I probably hit every single one of like the diagnostic criteria um so I worked with my therapist I'm still in recovery I'm still working through my OCD but it's definitely a lot better than before but it's something I'm learning that takes a really long time because you're kind of unlearning and changing your way of life so it's something I'm still working on but definitely much much better than before that's awesome I have a ton of little notes here and things that I think we'll eventually talk about I would love to learn like what it was that you felt like you were so anti-therapy or like anti-getting help at first I would love to know like what it was like for you to actually realize 
from online or from this professional that you've had OCD. But I think where I want to go first is actually like, what were some of your symptoms? I'm trying to kind of like picture it in my head. So if you could maybe give us some examples or how you really started and then how that progressed, that would be wonderful. For sure. So it started off. Um, I went to a private Catholic elementary school when I was younger. So, I mean, that was a little bit of a red flag. I feel like just explaining it now, being able to say that it was a private Catholic elementary school, everyone kind of starts laughing, but they were extremely, extremely religious, but like on the fundamentalist side of things where you weren't allowed to make mistakes. They basically like would just give us a list of things and like, if you did any of these things, like you were a bad person, you did something wrong, you were like upsetting God. And like being able to say it now, I kind of look back and I'm like, that makes no sense. Like, that's so ridiculous. But we were like 12, 13, 14 years old. Like we were so young and impressionable that, and we were being told this by the same teacher every day for like a year or two. So the longer and the more you're being told something, regardless of how ridiculous or silly it might seem, you're going to start to believe it. And I think for me, the most problematic was the fact that our teacher said to us, like, people in your life are going to tell you that what I'm teaching you is wrong, but you just have to trust me. And so I would go home and tell my parents because my parents are like, not super religious people. Like they're, I don't know, your average person that like, they'll go to church once in a while, but they're not like overly religious. Right. So I would go home and tell my parents and they'd be like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And so in my brain, it was almost like confirming what he said. Cause I was like, oh, well he said that, you know, people are going to tell me that he's wrong. And that's what they're doing. So it kind of just confirmed everything that he was teaching us. And so oddly enough, when I was at that school, I don't know if my OCD was just like hidden or what, but it wasn't a huge thing when I was in that school. It wasn't until I left and I went into grade nine and started at a new high school that my OCD kind of came out full force. And it started off with those little things like what we were told in elementary school, like, oh, you can't do this or you can't do that. And then it kind of snowballed into like, if I think something, then it's wrong. Like, even if I think about doing something wrong, that means I did something wrong. And for Catholics, I know it's different for other religions, but for Catholics, like the way you get forgiveness is to go to confession. So I was going to confession, like on a weekly basis, as often as I could, to the point where like the priest said to me, like, you need to stop coming. Like, this is like, kind of weird. You don't, I don't know why you're coming here so often. And so my symptoms were kind of, I like to explain it as anything you can think of, I had, because in my brain, I would rationalize anything to have to do with religion. So like, if I was holding my pen, and I was like making notes in class, I would have to like, draw a cross on the top of every single page, or I was doing something wrong. And I was a bad person, like anything you can think of, I was able to like, turn into a compulsion and turn into like my OCD just continuing to grow. I've actually worked with a lot of people um, who do that, right? Like it's this taking faith and religion to the absolute extreme where you can't even hold a pencil or you can't even draw because it's like, if you let that teeny tiny activity or that teeny tiny time go by where you're not actively having God with you or like doing it just so, or, you know, I've worked with so many people who needed to pray before they needed to 
they needed to pray or do something like exactly right or like feel this like you know presence from god or something you know very compulsive before they say would like have to take a step forward and we had so many people for instance who like would not be able to get out of our building during a fire alarm because like they would be stuck standing and they would need to be taking a step forward to get the heck out of the freaking building but like they didn't get the prayer right um wow and it's i mean yeah like this is why I love the example piece, because it's not like, oh yeah, like, I feel like I'm a bad person and you know, I'm worried about whether I'm going to go to heaven or hell. It's like, I can't even write. Like I, 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 you know, some people can't even, you know, walk the right way or, or, you know, a normalized way without having those obsessions and compulsions come in. So, um, I think it makes sense that like when you were in that school, you probably weren't struggling as much or like you're saying it was kind of hidden probably because that was a very safe place for your OCD, right? Like you yeah. were in the right environment, you were like in the quote unquote right environment, right? Like you probably didn't draw too much that things that weren't, you know, about God or the cross, right? Like, so your OCD was probably loving that environment because it was everything that OCD wanted. And then it seems like, of course, as soon as you left that environment, OCD was like, no, 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 like, this is awful. Um, and you're bringing up to like magical thinking, this concept that having just have a thought that's somehow like the moral or emotional equivalent of actually doing that thought. So, you know, thinking of anything bad happening to somebody or thinking anything bad about anything in general, that that's somehow like the moral or emotional equivalent of actually doing that thing. Um, so yeah, any other examples that come to mind? I think those examples are so powerful for people. I have so many to think of. Uh, one specifically, and this is real. it's funny because one of my best friends is Jewish. And so I was trying to explain to her like all the different things that I was taught in elementary school about being Catholic, that there are things that like other Catholics, like when I went to high school, I was also at a Catholic school, but it wasn't like fundamentalist. It was kind of like your typical Catholic school that like you'll pray once in a while. It's not like a super, super religious environment. And there's things that I would tell my religion teachers like, oh yeah, I was taught in elementary school this. And they'd be like, I've never heard of that before. And so one of the things I was taught was you have to wear this necklace and it's not like a cute looking necklace like you'd want to wear to show everyone. It's like this like two pieces of like brown string with like a brown patch on either side with like a cross on it and we were taught that if you wear this necklace all the time like 24 7 you have to wear it um when you eventually die you go to purgatory you nobody goes straight to heaven I was taught so you go to purgatory and then on the Saturday like every Saturday mother Mary comes down from heaven and like takes everyone that wore these necklaces and brings them up to heaven so he was our teacher was like can you imagine like what an idiot you would feel like for not wearing this necklace and now you're stuck in purgatory for like such a long time and he explained to us like how painful and awful like purgatory and hell was that like I don't know how he knew because I don't know maybe he's been there before I have no idea but he would describe it to us and explain how awful it is to we were horrified so we all started wearing these necklaces and it got to the point where like, you can look back at pictures from when I was younger and you'll see this necklace like in the pictures. I was horrified of taking it off. And even like our teacher said to us, I think 
you can take it off like when you shower, but like it has to be a quick shower. You can't like keep it off for too long. And it got to the point, I wouldn't take it off to shower, to go to bed, to go to the pool. Like I had it on 24 seven because I was just so horrified. And I just like, I have yet to meet someone that has heard of this other than the people that were in my class. Wow. I have so many questions. Like, <laughs> like what did your parents think? Like, I know that you, it's so like, so, so mind trippy for a kid, because like you said, these teachers taught you like, yeah, other people are going to look down on this. Other people are going to have something to say about it. And you still just have to trust. So I can just, I just like want to hug little Maddie, but uh, <laughs> like what, what, what were your parents' reactions? Like when they actually did realize like what actually was going on and kind of the, the bigger impacts of this. Once they realized what was going on, I was out of that school. So they were just like infuriated and blamed themselves and just felt awful because they didn't see the impact that it was having it on me at the time. And I didn't even really see the impact it was having on me at the time, but they like blamed themselves. They were the ones that were like, we need to get you into therapy. We need the best help possible. Like we need to just like, this needs to stop. This is not normal and this is not healthy. And so they were extremely supportive, especially because I was refusing to go to therapy. So they were kind of doing their best and working with like, our guidance counselor at school and just trying to kind of get me as much support as possible. But it was tricky because my parents were like, Madison, just don't think about it. Or like, just take off the necklace. Like it's not that serious. Right. Because they didn't at the time, like I didn't know I even had OCD. And so it was so easy for them to be like, well, just don't think like that. And I was like, well, I'm trying. And then I had teachers at my school that were, you know, so supportive and fantastic, but they weren't professionals. So obviously at the time we didn't know I had OCD. And so when I would go to one of my teachers or go to my parents and say, I feel like I did something wrong. They'd be like, okay, well just do something to make up for it. Thinking that it would like even the playing field. And if I do something wrong, you do something good to make it better. Not realizing that is what fuels your OCD. And so it was making it so much worse. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can't, I cannot even imagine. So, you know, we're talking about elementary school Maddie. And and we're talking about like, as you went into high school, so on and so forth. So what has been going on for you the past five years? Cause I know we had talked about, like, you've been formally diagnosed for like five years. So how have you been like, what was it like, I guess, like five years ago when you actually did kind of acknowledge that you needed to go to therapy and I can see how too like, was that fearfulness that certainly that fearfulness of everything had to contribute to why you didn't want to go to therapy, right? I was absolutely horrified because when I first went to therapy, I didn't, I had no idea what the treatment for OCD was. So I was kind of like, okay, I can, I can give this a shot. Like at the time I wanted to become a teacher. I was like, so not into mental health was just like, I'm doing this just to get everyone off my back. Like, I'm not going to like it. I'm going to go once say I tried it and that's that. And I just like, fell in love with the idea of therapy and healing because I remember sitting in my therapist's office and her reading to me like the diagnostic criteria for OCD and just kind of explaining it to me and I remember sitting there and thinking to myself like she is describing me perfectly and from that moment on I kind of bought into this like treatment process because I was like wow this is actually a disorder this is not something that I'm 
making up in my head. This isn't real. Like this is a disorder. This is serious. And so then I learned about exposure response prevention therapy. And I was so not a fan of it because I had to do all the things I was scared of. And it took a long time to kind of get me to a point where I was able to start it. Um, And then it took me, so I created that like fear ladder, exposure hierarchy ladder um, four years ago or five years ago when I started therapy. And this year is when I finally completed that ladder. And I'm now working with a new therapist. And I said to her like, well, my OCD is still here. So like, you know, the ladder worked for 95% of my OCD, but now it's that 5% I'm working through that I didn't even write down on that initial fear ladder because I never thought I would get to a point where I'd be able to do those things. Like those were the big things that were like off the table, like skipping mass is one of the things now that my therapist has had me work on or like not going to church. And four or five years ago, like there's no way that was an option. That was like, I didn't even put it on the list because I was like, absolutely no way will this ever be an option for me. And now it's like, something I'm doing as if it was nothing. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing how that happens. Like you do these really, you know, 10 out of 10 things on the top of your hierarchy, like the biggest exposures that you could possibly imagine. But by the time that you do them, they're not as bad as you once thought that they were right. Like at the beginning of treatment, you think that they're absolutely impossible, but you give it time and you kind of build those muscles and things get so much easier. So, um, what were some of the, in addition to, um, like having to skip mass, which is a, yeah, I totally 100% see why that is a good exposure, right? Like the, the whole process of exposure and response prevention, specifically for like religious scrupulosity or moral scrupulosity is to not to take you away from your faith completely, or it's not to say that you can never go to church again or never go to mass again, or never pray again. It's that we want you to learn how to do it on your terms, from a place that's not fear-based, like, oh my gosh, I have to do this. Otherwise I'm going to purgatory or, oh my gosh, I have to do this. Otherwise I'm going to hell or God's going to be mad at me, or I am a bad person. It's, you know what? I have faith. Faith in and of itself is being uncertain. I don't need to answer those questions. And I am going to live my life in accordance with my values, not necessarily being driven by fear. Um, so one, I don't know if you have anything to like, just any reactions to that, like that our goal isn't to stop from getting people to pray or like engaging in their religion altogether. It's to make them do it in a way that's more flexible and on their terms versus on fears terms. Um, but then two, would love to hear like other examples of exposures that you had to do and specifically like talking about the response prevention piece, because it's one thing to skip mass. It's another thing to skip mass and not ruminate and not then go to confession about it and then not reassurance seek and all that stuff. So I know it's like totally loaded question, but um, yeah, just go for it. (laughs) No, for sure. And I like the fact um, that you touched on how it's not taking you away from your religion. It's kind of changing the narrative because I've had this conversation with my therapist so many times where I've said to her, like, I feel like I'm turning into my worst nightmare. Because when I have to explain, and I don't share it a ton on my account, because it's still something that I'm working through. And so if somebody were to send me like a comment or like a hate message about it, I think it'll like fuel that OCD spiral. But the exposures I have to do are things that you're taught as a kid to never do, right? 
So for me, I'm somebody that's extremely rigid about lying. Like the even little white lies I won't do. Like I was very, very, very big on if someone was to were to ask me like, how was your day? And I didn't have a good day, but I still said good. I would like read into that and think I was an awful person. Like things like that are things my therapist gets me to do. Like little white lies, um, things like my friends will be able to lie to their parents and say they're going out or whatever. And I was like, I could never do that because I'd literally have a meltdown, but I'm so glad you're able to do that. Um, so I think it's kind of, it's difficult because with scrupulosity, you're working through the things that you're taught as a child never to do because you're relearning, like you're, you're reteaching yourself why you don't want to do something. You know what I mean? Like with religion for me, it's, okay, if I want to go to mass afterwards, like once my OCD is, you know, in a better place, and I'm pretty well recovered, if I still want to go to church, great, I can still go, but I'm not going because I'm horrified of what happens if I don't. And I am able to be a little bit less rigid in my thinking to understand, like, if I feel sick one week, I don't have to go to mass because I feel sick. Like, it's okay. If I have to miss it, if I don't want to go, if I never want to go again, like, it's not this rigid way of thinking. And it's also, it's something that I've worked on a lot the last couple of years is like, what's actually important to me? Because a lot of the things that I was like, a lot of values and stuff are things that I was taught from such a young age at this school. So I never really had the chance to form my own opinions on a lot of things. And so my therapist sat me down one day and she was like, okay, so what are your thoughts on and just started listing like different topics. And I was like, well, I don't really know because I have like my opinion, but I know it doesn't align with like what I was taught. So like, I've never voiced it. And she was like, okay, but why? And we kind of explored that. And I, ha I realized like how little I was actually like sharing of my own like values and opinions because I was just so like brainwashed almost by what I was taught that I didn't even give myself the chance to like really think about what I wanted and what was important to me. All right. So everyone listening out there, you already know it's been really awesome for me so far taking this 14 days of magic challenge with Magic Mind. I am 14 days in now and I feel incredible. I've noticed that I feel so much better in the mornings. I'm actually more chill throughout the day and I feel more relaxed and more productive. Um, yet at the same time, just super focused. I actually had to write a blog the other day, 600 words for Drew Linsalata. I'm not sure if you guys know him. He is otherwise known as the anxious truth. And I was able to do that for him in less than 15 minutes. He literally could not believe it. Um, and I definitely wouldn't have been able to do that if that wasn't for Magic Mind. And as far as my 14 days of magic challenge goes, I've been better with doing more things for myself in the morning. I'm proud about that. About 50-50 with meditating every day, have to get better with that too, but I've also been doing awesome, really proud of this one with not stress eating. So the purpose of the 14 days of magic challenge is to help people feel like their best selves for 14 days while also saving the Amazon rainforest in the process. You can contribute to saving the rainforest by just posting content with the 14 days of magic hashtag and for every 10,000 views, the hashtag 14 days of magic gets. Magic Mind donates $10 to the Reforestation Project with a $30,000 donation goal. Even just watching the 14 Days of Magic hashtag videos helps increase the donations, and that is super cool. 
You can access the challenge by going to magicmind.co slash pages slash 14 days of magic to submit your content. You could win a subscription of Magic Mind enough for up to three months and all of the views generated will be matched in cash as donations to the reforestation project. Use code ATHT14 for 40% off your first subscription. I know you guys will absolutely love it, especially if you're like me and feel like you need to do all the things but don't want to be stressing out about it the entire time. So again, you can access the challenge by going to magicmind.co slash pages slash 14 days of magic. Head there to submit your content, enter to win a subscription of Magic Mind, and be sure to use and watch the hashtag 14 days of magic to help donate to the reforestation project. Yeah, there's so much that probably goes into it. Like you're sitting with this fear that like, maybe you will go to purgatory, maybe you will go to hell, whatever, like you just don't know. And it's not like a contamination exposure per se, where like you, you either get sick or you don't get sick. Right. Like, and you can kind of like that, that consequence either happens or it doesn't happen. Like, you don't know whether you're a bad person or not. Like you don't, it's a feeling and you don't know whether or not you're going to go to hell. Right. So yeah, it's, Absolutely. it's really, really tough. Um, one of the most common questions that I get is like, but how do you resist rituals? Like, how do you sit with the uncertainty? And I know my take on that. Like, I know what I would say, but I always like to ask people who come on and tell their stories. Like, what would you say? Like, what, what was it like for you to sit with that discomfort and not be able to, you know, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't comfortable. Right. So, so what was that process like for you of like sitting with that discomfort, especially in the beginning before you started to realize like, Hey, this actually works. For me, the very beginning when I started therapy, and I think it's something I want to eventually use with my clients when I do become a therapist is my therapist the first couple weeks that I started working with her she focused solely on like psychoeducation and like explaining to me how OCD works and like why once you have a thought the compulsion and the behavior and like just that whole cycle so that I fully understood like why I was acting the way that I was so it kind of she like helped me retrain my brain to understand like okay I'm having an obsessive thought right now I know a compulsion it's going to be the next thing I want to do. I know if I do the compulsion, I'm going to feel a little bit better now, but it's going to come back again. So I understood how my brain was working. So I think that was the first step for me because I was able to realize like, okay, I get it. Like I understand kind of the whole process of OCD. And the next step before we started the exposures was we built up a whole list of like affirmations and coping skills and just tools I could use for when I was feeling anxious so that I wasn't really just like thrown in head first and was like, okay, go start doing exposures. I had a whole list of affirmations I was practicing every day of coping skills I was using so that I was able to kind of combat those bigger feelings. Um, and then as I kind of went through my exposure treatment, we kind of got to a point where the coping skills just weren't enough. Like the exposures felt too big and the coping skills and the affirmations just didn't feel enough to kind of counteract them. So that's when my therapist suggested medication. And that's when I started taking anxiety medication to just kind of take the edge off a little bit and kind of get my head above water so that I was able to still use those coping skills and everything. But it just kind of took down or like lessened the severity of those OCD thoughts. And now I think because I've been living with it for so long, 
I kind of have gotten to a point and I said this to my therapist the other day, I was like, I'm at a point where I've done all the things that I've considered that are like my worst nightmare of the worst things I could do. Like I've done almost everything. So now like, what's another exposure? Like I've already done all of these things. I've already poked all these holes in my OCD. What's one more thing. And I think it took me a while to get to that point. But now that I'm at that point, I feel like we've almost, we've reached like the peak of my OCD recovery. And now it's just like finishing up on those like little, I say little exposures, but they're like the biggest ones. But those like last few exposures that are kind of holding me back still. Yeah. I was curious, like what are still some of the things? Um, Cause it's, it's like, I think it's this like false fantasy that people have like, oh yeah, I'm going to finish therapy and nothing is ever going to bother me anymore. Like I'm not going to have any more anxiety. I'm not going to have any more triggers. Like that's life. Like even people Mm -hmm. who don't have OCD and anxiety, like they have anxiety. They, I mean, anxiety disorders, right? Like they have anxiety, they have days that are really bad. They have things that make them fearful. You know, just this morning, I like, I probably should have like stayed and socialized at the gym a little bit, but I, I didn't like some people really intimidate me. And like, it's been a goal of mine to like hang out at the gym and like stay around and say hi to people and talk to people. But I was just feeling too anxious about it this morning. And I didn't go like, I'm still a fully functional human. And that's, you know, but, but the reality is, is that these things will still happen. So, you know, even though you've come so far, what are still some of the things that you continue to struggle with from day to day? Yeah, so it's interesting because I don't know if it's over the pandemic or what it is exactly, but I've noticed I've started dealing with like a lot of OCD around like cleanliness and stuff. And I didn't even bring it up to my therapist for like months because in my head, I was like, well, it's not that bad. Like I I know what OCD is. Like I've lived with it for long enough. Like if I don't do something, I don't think anything bad's going to happen. Like it's not this severe thing. So I just never mentioned it. And then one day I was talking to one of my friends and I was explaining like how I won't touch like certain door handles. And if I do, I have to like wash my hands right away or like my bed sheets have to be changed every so often. And if I don't do this and this happens and my friends were looking at me and as I was like saying it out loud, I was sitting there and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is OCD. Like this is literally, I just described OCD right now. And so I met with my therapist and I kind of explained to her, like, listen, I have to tell you something. And I didn't even realize it was a problem. And when I started telling her, she was like, okay, yeah, like that is definitely OCD. But to me, it kind of caught me off guard because I was like, well, it has nothing to do with religion. Like it's just, and we realized like, it's kind of my way of controlling things because I've been doing so many exposures and stuff. I don't have control per se over whether or not I'm a good or bad person because I've been doing all these exposures. So it's kind of turned into like, okay, I can't control that, but like I can control like how clean my room is and like obsess about that. And I can control like when I touch a door handle and like how quickly I clean my hands after and like stuff like that. So I think that's something that kind of morphed into a new form of OCD for me. Yeah. That we call it like the whack-a-mole problem. Like as you're yeah. kind of working on one thing, um, that might be fine. Uh, but then something else might creep up because what you said is like, this is an OCD. This doesn't have to do with religion. Right. Or like fear of being a bad person or whatever. And like, yeah, but it never had to do with religion. Like obviously <laughs> that was, 
obviously that was like the most salient piece. And like, that was stemming from your childhood and like all of these like very core messages that you received when you were younger. So I can see why that was the big thing, but you know, at the root of it underneath that is doubt and like the intolerance of uncertainty and this feeling of needing to know and the need for control, like you're mentioning. And so unless you target those core concepts, right? Like you're just kind of extinguishing your fear of being a bad person. You're just extinguishing your fear of purgatory. You're not necessarily, you know, getting better at sitting with uncertainty. You're just like kind of extinguishing fears, but then one more is going to come back up. So that's why, you know, it happens all the time. Like all of my, pretty much all of the clients that I work with, they, you know, at some point say that something has, something else has come up, right? Like as soon as they're getting better, something else has come up. So I think it takes two, like, just realizing like, huh, where else is this need for control coming up in my life? Like, in what areas do I feel compelled to do something that I don't want to do? And OCD can be very insidious at first. Like it doesn't seem that's that big of a deal, right? Like you said in the beginning, you were like, oh yeah, this makes sense. Like it's the pandemic. It's not that big of a deal. I don't feel that, you know, kind of way about it. But then eventually you're like, oh my gosh, it's it's totally OCD. So it makes sense. Yeah. And even it's funny because I didn't realize how much importance I placed on these things because now that I mentioned it to my therapist, she was like, okay, well, like we're going to start targeting that too. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, let's focus on the religion aspect. Like I can handle that, but I can't handle you telling me not to that. I can't like wash my hands whenever I want. Like that's, that's off the table here. And she was like, I can't believe the thing that you were so scared of for years, you would rather do than I'll change my bed sheets like every week. And she's like, I can't believe you would rather keep that and focus on like the thing that was always your biggest fear, which is like the religion. I'm like, well, now this is like my new control thing. Yeah. So like, you can't take that away from me. Then what am I going to control? And so I've had to deal with, and for years, my therapists have said it to me, that idea of like tolerating uncertainty and accepting like, maybe, maybe not. And it's something... I still hate and I wish I could like say that it's something that's gotten easier and it has gotten a little bit easier but I think it's so difficult because I'm somebody that loves control and loves that like need to always know what the next thing is always have control over every situation that it's so hard because I'm like rewiring my entire life because I've always been that like very control-based person that like just needs to have a handle on everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure as we kind of wrap up here, I want to learn about like, you're going to school to, you know, like you said, to be a therapist. I think that is absolutely so freaking cool. Um, I want to learn more about that, but I think I'm like super curious and I think other people probably are too. What happened with the necklace? Okay. So I honestly don't have an explanation for you on this one because I was telling one of my friends and she was like, but that's so strange. Like, this was before I started treatment for therapy. I just took it off one day. It was kind of like I wore it to bed and everything. And so one night I was like, you know what? I did like my own exposure therapy, I guess, like DIY exposure therapy on my own. And I didn't even know what exposure therapy was at the time, but I just kind of was like, you know what? Let me just take it off. I'm going to bed. Like, I'm just going to take it off tonight. And then I just kind of like slowly just stopped wearing it. I honestly like there's no rhyme or reason I think I was just I did start to get better before I went into treatment like things were a little bit better and I think it was just during that time where I had a lot of support from people around me 
and I was still going to confession a lot. So I think that helped it in one way, like helped, but also didn't help that I was going to confession all the time. But yeah, I just stopped wearing it. Wow. And I think that, I mean, it, it probably did have a lot to do with support and and who knows, but like, just goes to show, right? Like you start taking the necklace off and you start to feel a little bit better. Like that's the opposite yeah. of what OCD wanted you to know or want. Yeah. It's like opposite of what the OCD was telling you. Like you have to keep that on or else you'll feel so uncomfortable. You won't be able to handle it. And it's like, I just took it off and I started to feel better. That's incredible. Yeah. I think people like I first, when I took it off, I remember I wouldn't be able to fall asleep at night. So I think I would like hold it in my hand. And then by the morning, it wasn't in my hand anymore, obviously, because I was sleeping. And that's when I kind of got to a point where I was like, all right, whatever, like, I don't need to, I'm not like, I'm not even holding it now. So I might as well just leave it on my nightstand. And then it got to the point in the day where I would forget to put it on. And I was like, Oh, okay, well, you know, I'm still here. So I guess it's not that bad after all, if I don't wear it. And that's kind of just how I like gradually stopped. Wow. That's awesome. So what made you, or at what point did you decide, like, I'm all in, like, I want to do this forever. Like I want to help other people with it. Talk to me about that and let us know kind of where you're at now in school and stuff. It was funny because I started off, I'd always wanted to be a teacher since I was a kid. And then as I started in therapy, I was like, you know what, I'll be a teacher and a guidance counselor so I can still help people. And then it was like, you know what, I think I just want to be a guidance counselor. And then I got to a point where I was like, I want to teach like a mental health course or like, I just, like, I was so trying to like get myself into the mental health field without like fully getting myself into the field because I was so like, I'd always wanted to be a teacher. Everybody said I was like born to be a teacher. And so I think I was a little bit scared to like go against that. And then when I was going into grade 12, I was like, okay, now I have to start applying to like university and everything. I do in Canada, we have, it's called the concurrent program. So you do your four years of your undergrad degree and teacher's college combined. So you don't have to like reapply to teacher's college. And that's what I had planned on doing. And I just remember saying to my parents, like, I don't think I want this anymore. Like, I'm so passionate about mental health. I don't think it makes sense for me to be a teacher. Like, I don't know why I would do that. It just, I'm so passionate about mental health. And at that point I was like, I just want to be a guidance counselor. So I kind of got to a point where I was like, it doesn't make sense to go into teaching. Let me go into psychology. If all I want to do is, you know, that guidance portion of teaching, why would I ever go into teaching? Because I was like, I don't really like any course enough that I would actually want to like teach it. I'm not a math whiz. I don't like science. I'm not an English person, like mental health and psychology. Like that's my thing. And so my parents were like, well, then that's what you do. And so I kind of went back and forth now between getting my PhD and getting my like doctorate in psychology or just getting my master's. And I decided on doing my master's. I haven't, I'm not in it yet. I'm still in my undergrad, but I decided that I'm just going to apply for my master's and then open my own office. So hopefully that'll be happening in the next couple of years. That's awesome. Um, And as somebody who has OCD too, and like, I've been there myself, I've always been able to relate to people more I think that you will make an amazing therapist because you know what it's like. You know what it's like to not want to do therapy. You know what it's like to be so scared to take that necklace off. You know how scary it is. Um, You know what it's like, you know, when everyone around you is like, oh, just do something good to counteract it or like, just stop thinking about that. Like it doesn't work. Um, And so I think you'll be able to just like relate to people in such a better way and 
I think OCD truly is one of those things that you don't really understand it unless you have had it yourself. Um, it's just so nuanced. It's so like the feelings associated with it are so strong. Um, so yeah, I, I think that it's really special that you've come so far and you've challenged yourself so much. So, um, what I guess would be your advice for anybody else out there who is kind of like how you were like, you know, coming right out of, you know, the elementary school, going into this new environment and you really started to struggle. Like you're really there. Everything feels so terrible. You're wearing this necklace all the time. Um, you know, not even able to really like draw or or write notes because you have to do this thing or that thing. What would be your advice, um, from someone who's kind of been there and, and has come out on the other side? I think I would say first and foremost, because I think with OCD, it's so easy to get caught up in the idea that you're thinking something or you're feeling a certain way. So you think that has to be true. So I feel like first and foremost, I would say like thoughts are not facts. And I say that all the time on my Instagram page. And I joke that I'm going to get it like tattooed on me because I say it so often, but I think that's such an important and like key part of OCD treatment is understanding that these obsessions, these obsessions and these compulsions are not facts. Um, and the other thing I would say is therapy is not something to be scared of. And it's something you can go at your own pace. Like there were times where I felt like, you know what, maybe this is a little too much for me. And I would say to my therapist, like, we need to take a step back. Like I can't handle this. And obviously your therapist is going to push you, but they're not going to push you to a point where you can't handle it. So I think understanding that you're in control of your sessions and like you are able to say, no, you know what, this is too much for me right now. So you don't have to be scared in the sense that you're going to be forced into doing something you're not ready for, because when you're with, you're with the right therapist, you're not going to be forced into doing anything. Like it goes at your own pace. I love that. I think that's a big myth actually is like why people um, are hesitant to get to treatment or hesitant to do exposure and response prevention in particular, that they feel like they're going to have to do their 10 out of 10 right away. And, you know, for instance, if they're fearful of like becoming a pedophile, like, oh my gosh, what are you going to do? Make me like molest a child. And it's like, no, we would (laughs) would literally never have you do that. Like we would never have you do anything that we wouldn't do. We would never have you do anything illegal we're going to make you do way more boring things like drive by a school. (laughs) Like it's not what people think. And yeah, I always emphasize that it is an extremely collaborative process. I don't want anyone to do anything that they don't want to do that. I haven't convinced them that they need to do in order to get better. Um, so I'm really glad that you talked about that. Um, And as we wrap up here, before we tell people where to find you and give you one last thank you, um, I always ask all of my um, guests here, it's obviously really important, especially in the ERP process. And as someone with OCD and anxiety, it's important to do hard things. It's important to, you know, go to therapy, even though you don't want to. It's important to tell your therapist about the contamination stuff, even though you don't want to. It's important to touch the doorknob and want not wash your hands, even though you don't want to. Um, so why, in your opinion, why is it so important and good for us to do hard things? That's such a good question. And I think it's because without doing those difficult things, like the more you do them, the more you desensitize yourself to them. And so they don't become so hard anymore. And I think it really, at least for me, it really got in the way of my everyday life. Like I wasn't able to do things anymore like the average person would. 
And so the things that felt so big and so huge to me four years ago, like when I look back on my um, fear hierarchy, I forgot, I like, I fully forgot. I was like, oh, I forgot that was like such a big thing for me that long ago. And like, now it's not even something I think twice about. So I think it's kind of just getting yourself back to that, like everyday life and not letting your OCD or anxiety or depression or whatever, stop you from living life to the fullest as like cheesy as that is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so amazing. Thank you so much for all of the wonderful lessons and the examples and for sharing your story. I know it's going to be very, very helpful for people out there. Um, so Maddie, as people, as you, you know, go through your journey and, you know, continue on that process of knocking out some more exposures and eventually becoming your, uh, a therapist on your own, um, where can people find you? I, I know you're on Instagram. Where can people find you? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram and TikTok mainly, and my account is mental health with Maddie on both platforms. Awesome. I'll be sure guys to put those, um, handles in my show notes, um, so that you can just go right there and, and find out more about Maddie, um, on Instagram and on TikTok. So once again, Madison, thank you so much for being here. I think it's going to be really helpful. I cannot wait to share this with people. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. This was so great. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up to date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.